Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Zapier. Zapier is an awesome company, and I'm thrilled that they're sponsoring Exit 5. They are one of the secret go-to tools, maybe not so secret anymore, that I've seen B2B SaaS marketers use over the years, and I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor. Zapier is easy automation for everyone. By connecting with more than 5,000 of the most popular apps B2B marketers are using, like Salesforce, HubSpot, Slack, literally thousands more, Zapier lets you automate almost anything you can think of without writing code, which is especially good for people like me. And with Zapier's easy-to-use workflow templates, you can start saving time and impressing your boss fast. More than 2 million businesses automate their tasks with Zapier, including top brands like Shopify, Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendesk, and more. They choose Zapier to streamline their work, save money, and find more time for what matters most, and that's more important now than ever. That's the reason why Zapier rhymes with happier. Bet you didn't know that. Now you know how to say it the right way, too. Every day, Zapier customers save more than $10,000 in time per year. With Zapier, you can move new leads into your CRM. You can automatically reach out to new leads, get Slack notifications for important emails, auto-generate emails with personalized content based on form inputs, seamlessly synthesize data from multiple sources, reduce human error, and increase accuracy. You can try Zapier for free. That's one of the best things about it. Go to zapier.com backslash Exit five, one word, that's Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com forward slash, I guess it's forward slash, forward slash exit five, Zapier dot com forward slash exit five. One, two, three, four, exit five. Hey, it's Dave. Just some quick context before we get into this episode. This is a conversation that I did with an old friend and colleague of mine, Dave Charest. He works at Constant Contact. That's a company where I started my career at probably a decade ago now. And he asked me to be on this podcast 
But after doing it, I realized I told a lot of stories and shared openly about a bunch of different things earlier in my career that I hadn't shared. And, and I was like, man, I want to use that audio. I want to put that somewhere else. And so I thought it would be interesting and just some good context. And it was a good conversation. And I want to run it here. So here it is. This is uh, Dave Charest from Constant Contact interviewing me, which is a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. See ya. Dave, you were mentioning that, you know, we've worked together in a past life. I think you were, were both at Constant Contact from, I think, like, what, 2011? Were you 2011 to 2013? I started in 2011. I think you were there through 2013, right? Yes, that sounds about right. What a time in my life that was. Holy smokes. Amazing. And you were doing, I think, when I first started there, you were in the PR world, right? And then you moved over to product marketing? Yeah, that was my first, like, actual tech company. That's how I got into SaaS, actually. And, and this this kind of world was... I was at a PR agency, so graduated college, shitty time to get a job, didn't really know what I wanted to do, got a job at a PR agency, and I was there for a year and a half, and I was like, I'm kind of good at this thing, and people were like, maybe you should try to go like in-house, because if you go in-house, you can learn at a company, and you might get paid a little bit, like you might get a nice pay raise relative to what I was, I was making like, you know, I think I was making 28 grand at my PR internship, it's all relative, and I got, uh, I applied to Constant Contact and I talk to this day, I talk about that time in my life was so informative for like what I ended up doing now. And I didn't see that path because like I learned about SaaS, I learned about tech, I learned about being inside of a company and they were making like a bunch of acquisitions at the time. And it was just a cool time to be there. And I look back on that now and I'm like, yeah, that actually was a really formative part of my career that I don't often talk about with people. So I was like, when you reached out to talk, I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. This is cool. So I want to share what I have in my head, which I, I know it probably isn't the case, but I want to share my Dave Gearhart kind of origin story that I have in my head that I think would be really cool if you don't mind. You ready? Oh boy. Buckle up. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. So we're talking, right? We both worked there. And back in the day, we used to do a podcast and we had you on every once in a while. We used to do the, the Speakeasy Marketing Roundtable. And so every Friday, Constant Contact used to do a beer cart. So we'd grab a beer and then a bunch of us would sit around the table. We'd have a beer and we'd talk marketing. And I can remember your manager at the time and kind of being like, that's a waste of time. Why are you wasting your time doing that? <laughs> right. And so I have this thing in my brain that you were like, oh yeah, I'll show you what a waste <laughs> of time is. And you've kind of built your whole career <laughs> around like starting podcasts everywhere you went. Right. And like, this is kind of good going. So this is my secret origin story I have for you in there. But <laughs> Oh man, that's so funny. You just brought up a memory that like that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> And I remember like, like, yeah, shouldn't you be doing something else? Like, are you, I actually feel like that came from a position of like, if he's around these other people that are outside of his core job function, he might get interested and there might be other things. And learning this lesson now, I think like if you have people on your team that are like hungry to be involved in other parts of the company, sure, there is some risk in that. But I think overall you, like we built relationships, we had chemistry, like I got to know you, we all worked on different teams and ended up like, we're having a unique working relationship together. And I think you learn a lot. I learned, hey, this is cool. I like this format for myself personally. And I might go do something like that. I just think you have to give people the freedom to go and do those things. And there was a bunch of cool people there who were like just doing those things. And they were like, hey, dude, you want to come in and chat like with us? I was like, sure. That sounds awesome. And, <laughs> and yeah, that is cool to look back on. We mentioned a little little bit before we started recording how, you know, I'm kind of always kind of watching, seeing what people are doing. And you're one of the folks that I think 
really uh, puts it into practice. And it's at the erring on the side of like taking action versus kind of waiting for perfect and, and doing all of that. And I used to talk a lot when I was wearing my content hat really about how content marketing is both internal and external. You have to be telling the story and you have to be getting people activated and you have to be doing these types of things. And so I wonder if you can just kind of take us through that journey, right? So like, obviously you started Constant Contact, like what I guess led you down that path of like, what's your history and how did you get to where you now have your own business, which is Exit 5? Connected to Constant Contact for me in, the, in this story. And this is cool because I'd never shared a lot of this before. And I'm starting to reflect a little bit more as I think about what I'm going to do next and all these other things. And I think being at a company like Constant Contact, I got to meet a lot of more entrepreneurial type of people. And I saw that for the first time in my life, I think like work, and I wasn't that old, so I can't say like, you know, for the first time in my long, my long <laughs> life, but like early on in my career, I saw people that like had a kind of like related work passion, but it was outside of work. And so I mean, but it might be like they worked in social media and social media was really blowing up industry at the time, right? Like you know, Erica's team was such a core function of like that kind of world and, and Constant Contact had a big social media presence and that was a huge lever of their growth. But I think through that world, through social media and through marketing and through tech, I started to see these people kind of talking about what they were doing in a work-related context, like outside of work. And so they might have a blog about social media or they might have a YouTube channel or, or a newsletter. And I thought it was cool to like be inside of a company and do these things in my job. And then like, I found myself like wanting to, I was reading, I was early reading, you know, I was into like RSS feeds and early podcasts. And I was already trying to follow, you know, there was such an interesting space being in social media in that time, like 2011. It was like, it was like early Gary Vaynerchuk, Chris Brogan, Brian Solis, like all these people in this kind of social media world were like blogging. And I just remember all these people's names and they started sharing stuff. And I, I thought it was cool. Like I, there was like what I happened to be working on. I was doing um, PR for Constant Contact social media products. And so I had to like pay attention to TechCrunch and learn what things were launching. And Constant Contact had acquired a company at the time called Nutshell Mail. And I got to work really closely with this guy, Mark Schmulen, who was an entrepreneur and sold his company. And I got exposed to like that world through him. And so early on, I, I had this feeling of I wanted to start a blog or something of my own talking about marketing because I saw all these people in, in my work life talking about marketing and they kind of had their own things. And I was like, I got things to say. I want to do this too. And so I remember it kind of like the beginning of it was really wanting to start something, wanting to start a blog or start a newsletter. But I kind of like had a little imposter syndrome and didn't feel very credible yet. And so I kind of held off on doing that. I didn't fully execute on that until like I went to start my Tech in Boston podcast a year after I left Constant Contact. But it all connects back to me. I remember specifically being at Constant Contact, be like, man, I should start a a marketing blog or whatever, but I, I don't feel like it's right for me right now. And I, I was kind of embarrassed by it. Like none of my actual friends are going to think this is cool. And now I've kind of just been able to scratch that itch. And I guess there's something deeper down where I like, I like creating things. I like pulling things together, like having an idea and being like, oh, actually, you know what? I could do that. And sign up for a landing page tool and sign up for email and write the copy and get the page published and get the domain and get traffic to it. Like there's something in there that I guess appeals to me as a creative and competitive type of person. And I think having my own blog was like a wanting to do that was a way to also scratch that itch. And then as I progressed in my career, I actually went to early stage companies where I got to kind of do those things. And they're like, hey, you've never run a website before. Like Constant Contact, it was like, 
do not touch the website. Like <laughs> yeah. it was such a staple of the business. And there's, there's a team of people that work on the website and there's like 20 people on that team. Right. And then I go to a company where like, oh, you've never run a website before. Sure. Why don't you run our business website? The core function of this freaking <laughs> company. And that was cool because that, I guess to me, that's at least like how I've needed to learn is like by doing. And so I, then I got to like go to startups and take this idea of wanting to start a blog and start a newsletter and apply it to a company. And so I'm launching content strategies. Looking back to me, it's just, I can say the word strategy now, but it's like, uh, we need some traffic. Uh, let's start making content. And you build a strategy as you go. But that's kind of always been a staple. And I guess I got to do it at bigger stages, like versus my from myself to drift and and some other stuff. And now I actually am doing a really similar thing with what I'm doing with Exit Five. There's a website, there's emails, there's social media, there's podcasting, and I just get to do it all. And I think that all stems back to that time at Constant Contact. You mentioned something in there, imposter syndrome. <laughs> I think it's something that all people go, I was going to say business owners, but I think just people in general, right? It doesn't matter what walk of life or what it is that you're doing, whether it's just your everyday nine to five or whatever the case may be. And I mean, I would say I've been doing this for a while. Like I still have it. There are times where I'm just like, I'll create something. I'm just like, oh man, this is not good. Like nobody's going to like this. Like, like, do you still feel that in your day to day? And there are other times where I'm like, no, I'm, I'm really good. This is awesome. Like, you know what I mean? But there are other times where like that self-doubt comes in. And so like, I'm literally going through this as we speak. Like, I, okay, so I've been wanting to start my own podcast. <laughs> Chalk, okay, if I, I have many. Wait, you, you do podcasts? No. <laughs> no, but I've wanted to just like have like the Dave Gerhardt podcast and just talk about like whatever I want to talk about. Like I like this format and I have learned so much like through interviewing people and this would be separate from like marketing stuff. Like I don't work for a company now. I can just kind of do whatever I want. And I'm like, you know, I'm just, I want to make the podcast that like my friends or my wife and my mother-in-law would listen to, right? And uh, I was like all set to do that. And then I kind of just like, I was like, <laughs> there's so many podcasts. Why would someone listen to me again? I already have like Exit 5 podcast, which is marketing stuff. So I go through it all the freaking time. Like, and uh, I found that the only way through it is to like make some progress on something and chip away at it. But oh my gosh, I have it. I have it all the time. Every day I have it. I have like a is exit five going to be like too big? Is this too big of a, like a, is it generating too much? Like, am I, can I manage this like myself? Like, is this real? Did I fake my way to get here? Like I really, every day I have that conversation. Like, is this real? Can I do this? So hell yeah. That's just a part of human nature. I feel it in many ways. I love golf. Golf is my favorite sport. And I play golf sometimes and I'll like enter in a tournament and I'm on the first tee and I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? <laughs> like <laughs> go to work, <laughs> go to your real job. And then I go to my real job and I have imposter syndrome there. So I think it's a natural, it must be something how we're wired. Yeah, totally. I remember hearing a story of uh, Anthony Hopkins, you know, the actor, Anthony Hopkins and having a conversation with somebody else and you're asking how things are going. And, and his reply was like, well, they haven't figured me out yet, right? Like, like yeah. he has no idea what he's doing. Like, you know what I mean? And I think I remember a key moment in kind of my life cycle, career, whatever you want to call it, right? Like noticing that like, oh, everybody's kind of winging it in some instances, right? And so <laughs> I was just going to say that, like, I was just going to say the other thing that I learned with that matches with that is like, and I don't mean this as disrespect to anybody. No, but like, absolutely. Yeah. I've been in rooms with like some very successful people, way more successful than me. And I'm like, they're kind of like, they don't really know everything. <laughs> they're kind of winging it <laughs> yeah. too. Or like, <laughs> yeah. I've seen really successful people like admittedly wing it in moments. And I'm like, 
that is so liberating to see also. And so, yes, I think there's going to be people who are just natural at X and they don't ever feel it. But I think for the rest of us, it's always going to be that way. And I think once you realize that other people are not that great, then that makes it a little bit easier. (laughs) Yeah, I think the key lesson for people listening here is just like, figuring stuff out. You just got to do it. And it's through that doing, you learn what you're good at, what you're not good at, and kind of where you got to fill the gaps. Right. Yeah. And I found early on, if you just come in, okay, like, so most people don't really know. And so if I could come in with a plan, people would go like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, I think the really smart people though, that like, don't know everything, they have a way of thinking and like a system for like how they would figure that out. And so I'm thinking like a great, of a great CEO that I worked with, like a product genius. Like he was not a finance genius, but he was able to figure out finance because he had some kind of core principles, which is like, oh, when you don't know a lot about an area, like find one or two mentors and expertise and like, you know, read these books and listen to these podcasts and focus your learning on this and kind of make decisions like this. And so he had like, framework. So I don't think you can like completely wing it, but if this is not your thing, you can find ways to figure out how you're going to learn about that and have, have ways of thinking systems for thinking. So I want to talk about exit five and how you get there and and have you tell us a little bit about that. And then to your point of kind of like frameworks. And I think this goes to, you know, your most, I think your most recent book, unless you're working on something I don't know about, but founder brand, right? Like you kind of put this framework in place of like looking at that and, and how somebody else can kind of create that model to kind of grow their business. Right. And so talk to me first about exit five, and then I'd like to kind of go to founder brand a little bit. Okay. So exit five. So basically about two years ago, I changed companies. And when I changed companies, I was going from B2B SaaS to more e-commerce type of SaaS. And I had just kind of spent seven years in B2B SaaS and I had started to build a following of people that were in that industry mainly through LinkedIn. And my LinkedIn content was like a, it was popular and and got a lot of engagement in a way that I hadn't had any success with other platforms. Like I'd been tweeting for 10 years and like my tweet responses were like, just from like you or something, <laughs> right? Like, I don't mean that. And like, <laughs> yeah, it, it just yeah. it was like, you get like one response or like, whereas like I would post something on LinkedIn and there's like hundreds of comments and I'm like, holy shit. Okay, so something is happening here. So I kind of just focus on LinkedIn and I, I realized like, oh, there's a, for some reason, talking about marketing on LinkedIn gets a lot of engagement. It's really grown my content and not, not even just in a vanity way, but like the more people that followed my page and engage with my content, I actually could drive like real results for that. And so like if we would do an event for Drift, like a big ticket sales channel would be like me posting about it on LinkedIn or booking meetings for sales or driving people to content. And so like, I didn't just see like the social vanity metrics of it. I saw like the impact of having an account with engaged followers like could actually drive to something. And so I realized like, oh, I have something here. When I changed companies, I was going to like launch a blog, like Dave's marketing blog or something, because I was like, I still want to be like perceived as a thought leader. This is the industry that I want to keep talking about. I expect to have a career in here. It'd still be valuable for me to be known in this industry. So like, I want to keep writing about this stuff. My wife, Leah, she happened to be listening to this this comedian that she listens to on Patreon. And it was, I had never heard of anybody on Patreon. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And she's like, yeah, I spend $7 a month and I get like exclusive content. And like, she doesn't post this podcast anywhere else. And I was like, interesting. I'm going to try to like monetize this. Like, I think there's an opportunity to do that. And so I want, I, I, and I didn't even have it like in a big fancy business sense way. I just, 
I'm into music, I'm into comedians and creators, and I see people in all kind of walks of of life in their craft, like starting to charge for content and it seems to be working well. I was like, I'm gonna try this. And so when I left my job at Drift, it was like pretty buzzworthy within like the B2B SaaS niche. Like a lot of people are like associated me with Drift and like, oh shit, he left Drift, like what's going on? And so I took that as an opportunity to launch, I knew I was gonna launch this, this site and it was going to be a private podcast. So it was behind the paywall and Patreon is going to be a podcast and like just continuing to talk about marketing, but just I figured people would pay for it. They could expense it to their company, whatever. I recorded the podcast episode about why I left Drift and what I'm going to do next. And that was available in my Patreon only. And so I had a great hook to get people in there. I figured maybe 10 people will subscribe to this and it'd be nice, like another, you know, $100, $200 a month, chip into my rent a little bit. And it's a fun little project. I'm going to do it anyway. And all of a sudden I had like 300 members and 500 members. And then within two months I had a thousand members and all of a sudden it's generating $10,000 a month from content. I was like, what the hell is that? Is This is ridiculous. There's something like much bigger here. And I like really committed to working on it. I'm like, I'm gonna post this thing all the time. I'm gonna really focus on the content here. Fast forward about a year into it, right around the thousand member mark, I got a bunch of messages that were like, hey, there's lots of other marketers in here. Like we wanna talk to each other. And I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) this is not just about your marketing thoughts, buddy. This is like, there's a community here. People want to talk to each other. And so I added the community portion of it, which is a Facebook group. And initially it was called Dave Gerhardt Marketing Group because I suck at naming things. And they was like, (laughs) so it's DGMG. And then like, I'd go to meet with my accountant and be like, so how's DPLQ doing? And like, it was actually (laughs) like I was getting trolled by all these people. Yeah. And I was like, this name sucked. Hey, it's Dave. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability rate of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no meetings. This becomes the silent nightmare for us marketers. You often don't even know that this is happening. And the most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about it. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more booked pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5 right now and book a meeting with their team to get set up. And as a thank you for your time, they will give you a free annual Exit 5 membership for booking a meeting that's valued at $275. Go check them out, apollo.io slash e5. And I also wanted to move it from, like, I wanted to shift away from it being about me. I wanted to be like, I realized that there was a bigger trend, which is like, oh, all these people are like, they're here because they work in marketing. They work in B2B marketing and SaaS marketing in some capacity. There's like wisdom of the crowds here. Maybe I'm the one who is helping to bring them here, but they're here because they want to like learn and connect with each other. So I want to like remove the Dave. I wanted to unbundle like the Dave from the branding. And so I came up with this story about Exit 5 which is a place in Vermont that my wife and I would go to on the weekends where her parents live and would just kind of like get out of the city. And I always felt like I would get unstuck on a work idea when we would go there. And I was like, cool, that's a cool name. The domain is available for $600. I bought it and rebranded it and called it Exit 5. Because I 
as also for me personally, I don't forever want to be like Dave Gerhardt equals B2B marketing. This is something that I've done and it's a part of my career, but I see myself as like doing other things and more than that. And so I think also rebranding and carving out exit five is like, oh, now I can be Dave and one of the properties and one of the businesses or things that I do is exit five, but it gives me like the room to do other things. And then maybe down the road, if there was a world where someone wanted to buy or partner with exit five, it's a little bit easier to do that as exit five, as opposed to like Dave Gerhardt marketing group. Yeah. You know, so it's really interesting when I actually saw you post something about talking about the naming of the business. And I, I was like, oh, wow. I thought when you named it, Exit five. I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I had like my own story. <laughs> Again, I, I keep making up stories for you. Apparently, that's what I do. But for me, I was like, oh, yeah, exit five. That makes a lot of sense because you're talking to a lot of founders within the tech industry. And oftentimes the goal is to exit nice within a period of time. And I was like, oh, exit five. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. So then when you said, like, no, it was the exit we got off in Vermont, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> blew it up, blew it up. A couple of things I, I want to touch on here that I hear you saying as we're talking about this that I think are kind of like the key things that I think people need to hear, particularly as you're a small business owner and those types of things, right? Like one of them, I think I hear you saying is focus on your strengths, right? Like you found a thing that was like, hey, I enjoy this format. This is the thing that I enjoy to do. So I'm going to really commit to doing that, right? Like focus on that and let that be the thing that kind of drives you. Another thing that I heard you say was inspiration from other industries, which I think is one that's often missed. Like you were watching musicians or you were watching things like applying these different types of strategies to what they were doing. And I often hear from the small business owners or marketers that I'm talking to is that like, if you aren't very specific about what you're saying, they often miss tying it back to like the example, like, or how to look at another industry and tie it back to what it is that they're doing. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you find that inspiration from other areas, which I think sometimes just kind of gets us out of our own heads a little bit and allows us to open up a bit, but like, what's your point of view on that? I don't know. It'd be, it's, it's never been a thing that I've consciously had to like turn on or off. I think I didn't really study marketing in school. I got a marketing degree because quite frankly, like I suck at math. I had no interest in it in finance. I could write and communicate and there was a, like you could get a marketing degree doing that. But I, I didn't like leave college being like, I can't wait to go get my job in marketing. I think looking back now, I've always been doing some form of like writing and communicating as I can remember. Like I gave the speech at my eighth grade graduation and I gave the speech at my high school graduation. Like looking back now, I'm like, oh, there's definitely some, I didn't know, like no clue at the time. I wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to be a marketing, but there's definitely some connection in there somewhere. And so I've kind of just always been like into just understanding people, kind of observing what gets a reaction out of people, you know, ranting to things about my wife. Like, did you notice that when this happens, all these, this, why, you know, I've just I've always been curious in that way. And, um, at Drift, I work for a founder, CEO, David Cancel, who was like very liberating. And like, that's how he thought too, was he, I saw him like just focus on all the things around him in his personal life. And he was like, don't study all that B2B. Like, don't, you know, he probably would be like against Exit 5. He's like, don't join there. Like, don't listen to what everyone's talking about. Like, because that that's where you can actually find all the advantages. And so he didn't want me to go to like B2B marketing school. He wanted me to go to like just understanding people school and like looking around. And so I've always had a better, I think I'm good at content and good at 
social media as it relates to business because I am good at like getting feedback and understanding what people want want and trying to like triangulate those things. And I'm, you know, much to like your skill set too, like taking ingredients and putting them together and be like, oh, if we were to write an article, here's what I think it would be. Like I'm I'm good at pitching the idea for the video, the idea for the ad, the thing for this and that. And so I think that's always been just an, a more natural thing. And so I think it's just been turned on in my brain. And I got to work for like David at Drift at a formative time where he was like, I remember specifically very like in my first two weeks in the job, he was like, I don't care if you know CAC to LTV ratio or SAS metrics or this and that. He's like, you have something when it comes to like content and copywriting, like let's double down on that. Be curious, like focus on what people are doing and like, don't worry about like what the industry best practices are. And I think I've, the reason why I'm able to move really fast now is because like I, you know, he pushed me to do those things and to do fast in that environment. So now I've seen like, oh, wow, if you, if I'm doing it just for myself and exit five, like why can't I make this decision in this instant? Yeah, I love that. You know, one of the things that I really love about what you're doing, and I kind of got started in this industry around 2006 is when I started kind of getting interested in it and kind of learning and, and doing a lot of the, the same things you're talking about. Like for me, it was like copy blogger was a big one, like Brian Clark, like those folks. And uh, one of the things that I, I like that you're hot on, and I think this is important because it's, it is that understanding people piece that really drives everything that you do. Like the technology is always going to change and that's fine, but it's ultimately, it's about applying the technology to how you communicate. Like oftentimes, like I'll see, like you post something and you're talking about a thing and I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm like, that's like not a new idea, right? It's something that's been around for ever. And it's just fundamental to who we are as people. And I think if you can spend more time understanding that, like people always want to know, like, Oh, when's the best time to do this? Or when's the, and it's like, it doesn't really matter if you're hitting the right things. Like you want people to be like people looking forward to, right? Like, because they're connected to you in some human level. And, and I think that's, uh, really cool with what you do and you put into practice and just even talk about. I also think it's tough to be an effective communicator. You can't just like say it your way. You have to like make sure the message has been received. And I think that's, I actually learned how to do that less as a marketing skill and more as like an internal career skill. Like I just remember having to, learning how to manage my my managers and manage my boss. And in a way that was like, hey, here are the things that I'm working. Like I, I've always been very like proactive as like an employee. And it's like, okay, you're not giving me a plan. Like I'm going to come up with a plan. <laughs> and I think that has also now kind of played out into how I've done marketing. Has starting your own thing always been something you you thought you wanted to do or how did that come along? No, I would say the honest answer is no. I don't ever, I don't ever think I've thought about it. I'm not that person who is like, yeah, you know, I... I was, I'm a hustler. I, you know, I had a lemonade stand when I was in the fourth grade and that's how I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. Like I, I don't have any stories like that. I've always been like a little bit, not as good as like at following directions and following the rules or like, or I get bored with like, really, if you tell me like, Hey, you have to do it this way and here's how it's going to do it. Like my mind always kind of looks for like, really, there's not another way. And I, that's always kind of been <laughs> yeah. baked into me and I've always learned best by doing things myself. And so myself, so I've always had to like, have a lot of freedom in my jobs to be successful. But I didn't ever think about it because I never, I honestly never thought, I come from a great family. Like we're definitely, we're middle-class, like well-off family, but I don't have any money. Like I didn't have any other than what I've earned for my, like I don't have any money that's coming from anybody. And so it was never real to me in that being, 
in my twenties, like I had no money. And so it was like, <laughs> I can't go not uh, like, and to do a startup, you always hear these stories like, oh, you got to, you can't take a salary for X months, right? Or even if you raise money, you got to pay yourself some shit salary. And so I just was never like, well, that's not an option because I guess I could start a business, but it would have to like pay for itself. And so I had lots of ideas for like a business, but it was never anything that was going to ever get off the ground because I needed to make money. And I think what happened was my DGMG slash exit five started to become like that income. And I was like, whoa, this is a business. And so I never like, was like, I'm taking the big leap. Like, you know, when I left my job, I had a business that was generating more than my salary already. And so there was like no, <laughs> there was no risk in doing that. And so, no, I've never thought about it for that reason. And I think there's lots of stories I can tell myself now, like revisionist history of like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense for things that have led me here. But no, I, I never set out to like be a business. I thought that I was going to my hope was like work at some tech startups. Like I seem to be okay at like doing marketing for B2B SaaS and and find my way around successful companies. My honest hope was like maybe one or two will have an exit or have a sale and we'll make a little bit of money. And then I can just kind of like figure it out for there. And what ended up happening is that that did happen, but I also happened to build this other business on the side. And, and that's kind of like, that's where I'm at now, but I don't have more stories of, <laughs> of being an entrepreneur. How does that accomplishment though, like this is working, this is doing the thing. How does that make you feel? I don't know. I'm still like processing it every day. Like I still wake up and I'm like, oh, you don't have to, I'm not going to work today. Like I have my office in my house, but I'm not like, like I don't have this nagging feeling of like someone's looking for me or like this person needs me or I got to do this. And so the, I'm like trying to be real with you. Like I, it's so very unique and rare that this has happened. And I am still in like this weird point in my career where like, I can't, like I have a hundred new ideas right now because I like haven't accept, like, is this what I'm doing? <laughs> it's crazy to me. So I don't know, Dave, that's <laughs> my honest reaction to that. It's interesting because I think I don't want people to misconstrue, right? When you say like, oh, should I work today? Because the reality is, I mean, what you are doing and what you're doing in Exit 5 is a lot of work. And it's because you're creating, I mean, it's comfortable for you, but you are actually putting in a lot of effort. So I wanted to maybe move us there a bit, right? Because like, one, I guess the big question is, what is that process of coming from where you're working at a company where you probably have, whether it's a small team, large team, whatever the case may be, you've got, you've got resources that at least from a human level, right? That maybe you don't have now. And so what is that transition like? Well, first of all, cause I, I do realize who we're talking to, like not to take that advice is like, I don't go into an office and do work. Like back to the point we we're talking about with content, like these are just notes and things that I've written down in the last hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so like, I'm not physically like going to work for someone else, but like in running exit five allows me to like play to my strengths and superpowers, like in the ultimate degree. And so like, it's a website, it's a podcast, it's social media. My brain is always going on like, oh, I should have this person on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> I should have this person on the podcast. Uh, let's get, uh, here's a good timestamp. Here's something I just said to Dave that would actually make a good, a good video for next week. I got to remember to write tomorrow's newsletter. And so like, now I just have the freedom to like do those things all the time. And like, I think of like, I've now built a business around like a superpower of content creation and therefore it is easier as opposed to like, I'm not a great manager. I'm not great at finance. Like I'm not like banging my head trying to do those things. So that's a good connection and observation. Sorry. What was your initial question? 
the question is like, how do you get shit done? Basically, right? I guess is what we're getting at is that you you know you're moving from a place where you're not always doing the work, like somebody else is doing that work, and now. I mean, do you have a team? Do you have people that you reach out to? I'm assuming you probably do like freelancers and things like that. Like to walk us through what that looks like. I think I'm naturally like a competitive person and a goal-oriented person. And so I think one of those things is driven by like, I have some rough goals that I have for Exit 5. And so, and I'm not, this is not crazy. Like I don't have an operating plan for Exit 5. There's no spreadsheet business. And that's how some people are. Even if they came from that, they might have the whole, spreadsheet to run the exit five business. I don't, I don't have that because I, I don't need to do it. I can see what I need to see, but I have like basically two bullet points of a, of a revenue goal and a content goal that I'm trying to get to. And guess what? Nothing happens if I make it or not, but like, I like to use those as a benchmark. And I found that as a person, I need those kind of regularly competitive things. Like I just got into running and my wife was like, you're hundred percent going to sign up for some type of race. And I'm like, no, no, this is just fun. Here I am. I'm now signing up. I signed up for half marathon in April. And that's just who I like. It, it helps me be productive when I have those types of goals. And so I think I, you have to be able to set goals if you're going to go and work for yourself. And so I have a clear business plan and goal for exit five in my mind. And the next thing that's really important is I think just having um, regular routines and rhythms. And so like I, I'm doing a lot with the Exit 5 podcast right now. And so I know that like from every, you know, basically every Tuesday and Thursday from 1 to 3 p.m., I'm going to be recording podcast interviews and that's my time to do that. I know that every Wednesday I send out my newsletter. I know that every Friday I do this type of thing. And so like I can kind of use those as guardrails for like things I got to build around. And so like, yeah, tomorrow afternoon, like my wife and I want to go out to lunch or I want to go do something else in the afternoon. That's great. I know that in the morning I got to spend two hours and get my newsletter done. And I spend two hours, you know, sometimes two hours, sometimes it's 30 minutes. I got to get that out. And so I have like having those regular systems and check-ins. If I didn't have any of those things, it'd be really tough. And now I have, I have three sponsors for exit five for the year. And so like I have commitments that I have for them. And that means we got to do this, this quarter and this, this quarter. So I think having the schedule and for me, just being somebody that operates off my calendar is the other thing. So I think goals and deadlines for me is the thing that drive action. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, we're just having this discussion. I'm actually talking to somebody later in the week about like goal, calling it goal getting, right? But that idea is that like, if you don't, I always look at it like if you don't have something leading you in a direction, I don't want mean to sound woo woo, but like the rest of the universe doesn't know how to help kind of put you in the right path, right? Like, and so you- Right, you know, to your point about like, how do you find inspiration and ideas like from outside sources? Well, if like, that's the thing you're working on, it's like, it just happens to find its way in there right now. And so like, yeah, you see it. And so like, oh, my goal right now is to grow members of Exit 5 from this. My brain is just gonna be kind of like subconsciously working at that problem. And so I might all of a sudden sign up for some like golf community. And I'm like, man, that's genius how they do that. Oh there's an idea that I can take. So I think, it, yeah, your, your brain, that is not too woo at all. I think that's so true about like having your brain turned on to that. Tuned, right? You're just attuned in a different way. Also, just like on the goals thing, like I'm not a crazy goal. There, there are people who talk about goals and they have crazy processes for goal. Like this is, my goal is like a bullet note in my Apple notes that says like, ah, because I should have a goal. And to me, the goal, it doesn't always have to be like, I want to grow from 3,000 members to 5,000 members by this quarter. Like for much of last, for like six months out of the year last year, my goal was transition DGMG to exit five. And so what does that mean? That means I got to do the brand. I got to do the website. I got to relaunch the podcast. I got to find this. So there's like, 
plenty of that that helps me figure out what I have to work on. It's not always like a numeric growth goal when I talk about goals. It's like that's how I chunk up like what I'm working on this quarter or this month. What would you say is your biggest kind of business related challenge or challenge slash maybe it is or maybe it isn't, but what what's something that scares you? I think one of the biggest challenges is probably is growth in that there's a lot to unpack in that actually. Because I think that I actually think that there's a world where like Exit Five can be a ten or twenty million dollar a year business. I've seen it like with other businesses like Content Marketing Institute. They're a little bit different, but there's lots of comparisons for this. And I go back and forth on it because I'm not sure that like I want to do that. Like if I wanted to work a hundred hours a week right now on Exit Five, it could be a ten to twenty million dollar a year business, no doubt. That would require a lots of hours of work that I don't want to sacrifice right now. B, it would require me hiring people and managing a team. Like there's a level of like, I could have gone all in and I could have, I could have a team of three to five people right now, full salary benefits. We'd have standups and one-on-ones and performance reviews. And there's a lot of things. So like, I know for sure that I don't want to do that, but I also want to grow it a little bit. And so there's like the like, okay, well, what should that be? And and so it's like, well, I could hire a freelance person and like have them grow my social media. Ah, but I'm not sure I want to like cede control to that. And I want to train them on that. And so there's also some things where like, I do like doing this and this is my little kind of project. And so I like, I like doing some of the things. And so I do, I read all the life hacker, growth hacker articles about like automating everything. And like, you know, I'm, I'm not a real boss because I should be outsourcing all this stuff to other people. But like some of it gives me joy as like a, I'm learning how to do these things and I'm tinkering with these things and it doesn't happen to take up a hundred hours of, of my week and and I got to do something with my time <laughs> and so and so there's part of it that that so so I think like one of the biggest challenges is is just like growth like I was just having a conversation this morning with my wife about like hey and I like bounce ideas off of her all the time for sanity because she knows that I'm very impulsive and I'm like I think I want to you know do this thing and hire somebody to do this thing for Exit Five and she's like well. But like you change your mind a lot and like, you know, why don't you just try the experiment yourself and like maybe do it for 30 days, do it for yourself. And then like, if you want to hire them, you can do it. And so there's like little, just little decisions like that, that add up. Like there's lots of things I could do, but it's the like decision factor of like, what do I want to do? What is worth my time? Should I do it myself? Should I hire somebody else to do it? I do have people that I work with. So I have somebody that I've met, Chrissy. I met her through like an early DGMG member. Now they're married and Chrissy's just like been in the Exit 5 community. She helps me with like um just kind of support stuff and she knows how all my systems work. And then I have people that I work with on a freelance basis. Like I need video, I need a design thing, I need website. And I, I'm actually just working with an agency now that I pay them just like on a retainer to help with some marketing stuff. But I don't, I don't have any full-time employees. So growth is the biggest challenge, Dave. Gotcha. I want to shift this a little bit so we can talk about just, you know, from your your expertise, particularly in the B2B space and in marketing, obviously we have tons of customers that are in that area. Like, you know, and I, maybe this kicks us into some of this founder brand stuff, but I'll, I'll let you drive where this goes. But what are the things that you see from a marketing perspective, particularly in B2B, are the things that are, if I were to say to you, all right, Dave, you're starting from square one today, where would you start first? The company story, like positioning. Why does this company exist? How are we different and unique and or better? Who do we serve and why? Like really nailing that. True differentiated positioning just solves like so, I mean, you know this, like solves so many of the minute growth hacking challenges. And 
that's where I would spend most of my time. And, and I also say that answer because there's lots of other implications there, like the product that you're building and the customer that you're serving. Like you can't do great marketing without strong connection to that. You know, I just want to stay on that for a second, because like, I think this is one of the things like you know, I'm always like, you know, the way you, it comes down to like the way you say something based on who it is that you're trying to reach. Right. Because like, I would say like, if you were going to explain quantum physics to your wife, your grandmother, or a five-year-old, although it's the same thing because of the people, you know, who you're talking to, the way you're going to do that is a lot different. Right. And I think it's the same with the business. If you know who it is you're serving and, and what you're trying to do, the conversation becomes uniquely attuned to those people, right? And I think that's really important that I think a lot of times, particularly businesses starting out, they don't want to, or they feel like they're getting too narrow or pigeonholing themselves. Like, oh, we're for everybody. But like, really, you can't be because if you're for everybody, you're for nobody, right? Like, and so it's an interesting thing there. I also think it's much easier to like build and be everything for everyone later if you first have that that wedge and that niche and you can like you can add more things on like the great coffee shop is going to also be successful if like after people come there and they love the coffee you add a breakfast sandwich and you're like yeah oh, that place I go to they have breakfast sandwiches now you know then the customer's not like well how, how do I brand them in my head you know like are they coffee or are they sandwiches it's like they're and I think you can do the same thing in in B2B and whatever you're selling to whether you're a small business a tech company whatever being specific and carving out that niche and having that clear strategy has everything to do with how successful you'll be with marketing. So, well, let's go there, right? You've got the story, you've got the positioning, marketing. Where do you go from there? Well, I think one of the big pieces of that is instead of even thinking of it as marketing, it's like, okay, now we, we have this story. Where are our customers hanging out? And how do we tell this story to them in a way on these channels? And I'm always a believer in you can call it content, you can call it inbound marketing, you can call it whatever it is. I've always, my bias is towards wanting to build an audience and build like owned traffic to my own thing. And so I realized that there's like a lot you can, you need to be doing with, with advertising and paid media when it comes to like e-commerce and direct to consumer brands. But ultimately I think always the marketing advantage is like, I think content is the greatest marketing channel. And so I come back to like, okay, well, this is our story. How are we going to tell this story? Does that mean, and that can mean everything from like, what's the content of your website to thinking about how do we get people to our website? I mean, I think today, brick and mortar business or online business, like the website is going to be the most visited thing. Even if someone's going to come to you in person, they're going to check your website for, you know, hours and location and menu and all that stuff. So it starts with like, what's the content in your storefront, which is your website. And so how do you articulate that story? You can have a great strategy on paper, but if you can't articulate it into a compelling website that attracts readers and converts readers, it's going to be a tough challenge. And then I think I'd think a lot about the social media channels that we are like, look to yourself and most importantly, like have a deep understanding of that customer and where's your customer spending a lot of time. They're in these subreddits on Reddit or they're not on Reddit at all. They're following these people on TikTok or they have no interest in TikTok. They only find out about information from each other at these local events and we got to be at these local events. Great. So like you can't be everything to everyone from a story standpoint and you also can't do everything from a marketing standpoint. And so I think like if I'm trying to think about how to get marketing started, I'm looking for one or two channels that are going to help us bring eyeballs back to our, our website. And or maybe there's a path where the website is still important, but it's not about traffic. It's about like 
you know, that quarterly meetup example I use. Yeah. You know, it's interesting now, particularly how, when you think about a lot of social channels have, have changed, right? It's a lot different from back in the day where it was like, you could post something, you post a link up and people come to your website. The channels now, obviously there's algorithms, there are things, and there are also, they want the engagement on site. And so a lot of the content has to be there, right? And so how do you think through that? It's tough to be successful on a channel without having a deep understanding of the channel. And so I think what you can't do is you can't have one idea for content. Like, like we come up with a campaign, like we, we're going to do this month. The big thing that we're trying to promote is X. And we come up with an idea for that campaign, right? We can't just like make a video or make some content and then like post it on Instagram and post it on YouTube and post it on LinkedIn and send an email about it and like expect that things are going to work. Each one of those platforms need to be uniquely considered. And so like, the LinkedIn content is going to be different than the TikTok content is going to be different than the Instagram content. And I think the people that do those things well, you see this all the time with like um, TikTok creators. It's like they're kind of, or Instagram reels, like they're kind of on one platform or the other. And the reason that the content is working is because they're creating unique content for that platform. They use that to figure out that it's successful. And then they might start posting the same stuff to like YouTube shorts and the same stuff to Twitter you're focusing on one or two channels. And I think you have to really commit to like creating original content for that channel. We're just in a different era than like, if this was 2010, 2011, 2012, I would say probably the answer is like just being on those channels. Like if you were on Twitter, like you could get more customers maybe than somebody else who wasn't. I think now it's got to be much more about like, what is our interesting, like what is our content angle? Is it educational? Is it witty? Is it funny? Is it serious? Is it, you know, what is it? What's the message? And then I would think hard about like one or two channels where you're you're making bets. I mean, and, and I think everybody has examples of these things now in our in our personal lives of like somebody that you follow on some channel and you ended up buying a thing from them. And I think that to me is like the best approach to thinking about marketing for your business. Like how am I, I sell this widget, right? How can I be, a great resource for things that the people who would buy this widget would be interested in online, get them to follow me, get on my email list or something. And then I'll have a much easier time selling them that thing down the road. Yeah. Love that. Listen, we're coming up to end of our, our time here. So I want to ask you one last question, which is what's the best piece of marketing advice you've ever received or that you could offer someone? Ooh, that's a good one. I don't have like one definitive answer, but I just think of like the first quote that I thought that came into my head. And sometimes I tell this to people and they don't understand it. And so it might not be the best quote in the world, but it's from Roy Williams, the wiz the he wrote the wizard of ads. He's a great wizard of ads, yep. <laughs> he says that the risk of insult is the price of clarity. Unpack that for me a little bit. What does that mean to you? It means exactly what we were talking about earlier, which is like being specific to a core audience. So the risk of insult is the price of clarity. Oh, what the heck? You don't have this type of pizza here? What the heck? I'm pissed off now. I thought, I'm sorry, man, we only sell this. The advantage that you create from being so specific, right? And so, and I think that advice can be applied from like a customer targeting thing all the way down to like a website headline. Like the amount of times in my career I've like gotten in an argument with like the head of sales or head of whoever about like, well, this headline doesn't speak to this audience. I'm like, the risk of insult is the price of clarity. It might not, but for like 80%, we're trying to appeal to this. Like this is the one person. So I think 
just the more specific you can be, the more clear you can be, the risk of insult is the price of clarity. Love it. I'm going to end there. DG, thanks so much, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Dave. I appreciate you having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit 5 podcast. If you're in B2B marketing and you want to grow your career, you should also go and check out everything that we have over at Exit5.com. We've got articles, we've got videos, we've got templates. Plus, we have a community, a community of over 4,000 B2B marketing pros. Whether you're deep in your career and want to connect with your peers or just starting up and you want a place to go where you can see what people are talking about, get smarter about B2B marketing in your own time to grow your career and help grow your company, go and check it out. It's exit5.com. You can get on the email list there. You can join the community. There's 4,000 marketers in the community. We have a job board. We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. And I also want to make sure I give a shout out to my friends at Hatch. That's hatch.fm. They produce this podcast. It sounds amazing because of the work that they do. And they work with B2B companies just like yours. They offer unlimited podcast editing and strategy for businesses. You can get unlimited podcast editing and on-demand strategy for a low monthly cost. All you got to do is just upload your episode and they take care of the rest. Go and check them out. It's hatch.fm. Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io, Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5.